Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. It may surprise you to hear that the manliest of all virtues is meekness. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. This is the eighth in a series that I'm doing uh, based on my book, Character Matters. It's in celebration of the two-year anniversary of this podcast, The Leader's Notebook. I wrote this book, Character Matters, some years ago, and it's been a tremendous seller and continues to sell uh, even to this day. But I decided to do this series on character matters and teach the virtues that are taught in the book one at a time. I also want you to have the book. At the end of this podcast, someone is going to come on and tell you how to get the book just by making a contribution to our girls' homes in Thailand and West Africa. You can help us save little girls for big destinies. And the announcer will tell you how to do that when we finish. And I'll get this book to you. My office will mail it as soon as we hear from you. Now today, we're going to be considering the virtue of meekness. I want you to think about the uh, United States immediately after the Civil War. The North had won. The South had been destroyed. It was shattered Post-war poverty and a deep sense of shame and defeat gripped the southern states of the former Confederacy with economic and psychosocial depression. The victorious North had also not escaped the horrible conflict without its own wounds. The rolls of the dead and wounded filled whole pages of northern newspapers. The federal army had won a Pyrrhic victory and they had won the war, but they had lost hundreds of thousands of their own soldiers. Then reports of the atrocities in prisoner of war camps such as Andersonville became more public. The screams for revenge against the South grew louder and more demanding. Many in power wanted the defeated South utterly crushed and humiliated. The army and the Congress wanted the conquered rebel states occupied, gutted, stripped of full participation in the Republic. Lincoln, as war-weary as any, with as great a reason for vengeance as any of them had, would have none of it. Whatever demeaning and vindictive excesses were perpetrated during Reconstruction, none of them were Lincoln's fault. The South had rebelled. Their rebellion had cost the lives of thousands and thousands and had devastated a generation for the sake of an unjust and immoral cause. But Lincoln, with the power to punish them bitterly or even to return slavery for slavery, longed instead for a return of the wayward brought safely back into the fold of the Federal Republic. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, had the South at his feet after Appomattox. His closest advisors, even his own cabinet, urged him to step on the naked throat of the defeated Confederacy and press down. Only one thing kept Lincoln from doing that, his meekness. 
his refusal to use his power in unrestrained vengeance saved the South and the nation from a post-war nightmare even worse than it was. Lincoln, longing for a unity and known for his honesty, proved the depth of his great and noble character with meekness. In his second inaugural address, with the rebellious states of the Confederacy on their knees, the Union clamoring for revenge, Lincoln boldly called on America for healing love. Listen to this speech, this brief portion of this speech. With malice toward none and charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan and to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. The greatness Lincoln was talking about is the greatness of unity, and he knew that only the virtue of meekness in the presidency and in Washington could restore a nation to wholeness. The greatness of the powerful is made manifest in restraint. Meekness is the virtue of the victor, not the vanquished. Therefore, meekness is the manliest virtue. Misunderstood by many, meekness is often thought of as the kind of weak sister type. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, that's the opposite of the truth. Meekness is the supreme virtue of leadership without which power becomes tyranny. Meekness is power under control. It's not the absence or lack of power. Christianity itself is a paradox that turns upside down the world's comprehension of what it means to live triumphantly. In that sense, meekness is Christianity's epitomal virtue. Now, in all virtues, there is what might be called the conviction of the virtue. That is, what we believe to be true about it has to come first. Then there's the theater of operation. There has to come some moment where we put it into effect. Just so, the ascent to power is the universe of meekness. That's where meekness has to happen. Take, for example, a big boy hits a small boy. The small boy endures it quietly because he has no other option. He knows if he fights back, he'll be damaged. But inwardly, he seethes with a lust for revenge. Because he is subdued in the face of violence, we may mislabel him as meek. Yet he is actually consumed with murderous rage. He forgoes vengeance, temporarily at least, but he is not meek. He is simply resigned to defeat. If, however, the small boy hits the larger fellow, it is the offended party who has the power. The big boy could break the little boy in half, yet he bears it quietly. That is meekness. There are two words that taken together paint a completely wrong picture of meekness. Those two words are meek and little. We often say, oh, he's such a meek little fellow. 
Immediately, a sort of Casper Milktoast image is conjured up. We envision this man as an impotent, powerless bloke. In reality, however, we would be better to say what a big, strong, powerful, rugged, meek fellow. When we identify meekness with being effete, we pervert the virtue itself. Meekness is not even possible until power is at risk. We can learn meekness in the company of lions. The mother lion lies quietly with her cubs playing about her. In their weakness, they nip each other with all their strength. Watching them, we may think they're just playing. They're not playing. They're fighting. They're learning to fight and kill. They're learning to be full-grown lions. They simply do not have the power to hurt each other. They are biting with all their might, but their little jaws are like the pincers of crabs. They nip and pinch and irritate, but they cannot really inflict serious wounds. Now, however, behold the great lioness with strength in her jaws, sufficient to snap the hind legs of a full-grown impala. She reaches down and picks up the cubs in her fearsome mouth. She has the power to snuff out their lives. Yet the babies lie quietly and safely between her ominous jaws. She, not the cubs, is meek. Meekness is rarely provoked. It is easily pacified. It is controlled and patient and entreatable. It's willing to forgive when forgiveness will earn no reward. Meekness is love in the driver's seat. When a culture distorts meekness to become weakness, its leaders grow increasingly ruthless. Might makes right becomes the motto of such a culture, and the weak are plowed under. Indeed, the weak in any society depend for protection not on the mighty, but on the meek. When meekness disappears, the most defenseless elements of the society are at risk. Here is a very important and powerful example. Now listen to this. Consider the relationship between mother and child, particularly the unborn child. That infant in its mother's womb is subject to its mother's power. Life and death are in her hands. The argument for abortion in the name of women's rights is to choose her power her power could only arise in a cultural atmosphere where meekness is devalued. Postmodern Western society sees no virtue in motherly meekness, and mothers therefore grow ruthless in their power. Abortion is the most monstrous perversion of power. The willingness to suffer through the pregnancy and the childbirth for the protection of the unborn is not possible because the mother is weak and powerless. It is possible because she is sacrificial and meek. There are blessings that come to the meek. Let me just list several of these for you. One is Christ-likeness. Matthew 11 and 29 is a very powerful passage of Scripture. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am what? Meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. So when we settle into the double yoke with Jesus on one side and us on the other, the ox yoke, thus securely around our necks, we learn his meekness. When he turns left, we turn left. When he turns right, we turn right. 
We learn to walk at his pace, to move when he moves, and to stand still when he stops. When he pauses, we wait patiently. We fit ourselves to him. We learn of him, therefore. We learn about him. The longer we walk with him, the more we walk like him. The longer we talk with him, the more we talk like him. Like two old married people, we gradually grow to look more like each other. So one of the great blessings of meekness is that we learn more of who Jesus is and learn to be more like who Jesus is. A second is happiness. Meekness brings happiness in this life. It makes a man fit to live with because he is not easily threatened by the loss of his power, not constantly striving to gain dominance. The meek reject tactics of manipulation and intimidation. Meekness makes a man fit to do business with. The meek will not do business out of competitive neurosis, not needing to get the upper hand in every deal. The meek are to be trusted. Furthermore, because they're honest, the meek tend to prosper. There's a third blessing that comes through meekness, and it is the great inheritance that we are promised. The meek shall inherit the earth. In Lerner and Lowe's musical comedy Camelot, the frustrated knights sarcastically proclaim, it's not the earth the meek inherit, it's the dirt. They were wrong. To inherit means to come into authority, to gain dominion over. Matthew chapter 5 may refer to the earth that God used to form our own earthen vessels. In other words, self-possession, dominion over appetites and passions is the inheritance of the meek. The meek inherit. They have dominion over their own earthen vessels. Learner and Lowe were wrong. It's not the dirt the meek inherit. It's the earth. To know him in the earthen vessels that we are and to know him and reign with him eternally. Meekness in every level of society is important, but it is absolutely essential in leadership. The distortion or loss of meekness in political or military or economic or, or religious leadership will thoroughly pervert any culture. When, when, when power is perverted particularly, take, for example, denominational leadership. It can be exploited and perverted. Power can be exploited and perverted. And what can happen is that the virtue of meekness gets lost and the, the parishioner in the pew gets plowed under. Take, for example, King Rehoboam. He ascended to the throne at his father's death, and he sought counsel. To follow Solomon's fame and glory was no easy task. To be the son or successor of a famous and successful leader is, is a challenge, and he needed wisdom. So he asked the younger people and the older people. He wanted to get two different opinions. So he asked the old leaders, the people that had been in Solomon's regime, and they said, soften up. Where Solomon has taxed them at 10, you tax them at 5, just as an example. Where he demanded this, you demand less. And they will be your servants forever. Lighten the load of your father. That's what the graybeards, the older ones, sort of admonished him or, or recommended. Then he asked the young guys. And they, lacking meekness, urged him also to lack meekness. And he said, 
Whatever Solomon did, do it 10 times. Make them uh, fear you. If Solomon whipped them with whips, you whip them with scorpions. If Solomon taxed them at five, you tax them at 20. And he did. The blatant appeal to Rehoboam's insecurity was what won out. The obscene comparison between Rehoboam and his father Solomon did not miss the mark either. It may have been sophomoric and irrational, but Rehoboam was absolutely determined to prove that he was a bigger man in every way than Solomon. The nation shuddered at the king's new first speech. Solomon, my father, here's what he said. Solomon, my father, chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scorpions. Compare that with, the, with this post-Civil War speech of Lincoln. Lincoln calls for mercy, healing, unity. It's a speech of meekness, power with meekness. Rehoboam says, my father punished you at a certain level. You, you haven't even seen punishment. And therefore, when he loses his meekness, he loses his kingdom. The CEO who wants to lead in the style of Jesus takes upon himself the mantle of meekness, not the appearance of weakness. He never asks himself how his employees can further his career. He seeks instead to help his employees fulfill their potential as human beings and productive members of society. Likewise, the, the meek pastor does not ask how his staff, elders, and membership can help fulfill his ambitions, make his dreams come true. He asks himself, what can he do that will bring them into the fullness of the stature of Christ? The politician who is meek does not ask himself what the people can do to carve his niche in history. He seeks some way to bless the least member of his constituency. Let me give you an example of three false leaders that appear when meekness is lost. The first is the distant emperor model. That is King Ahasuerus. If you remember in the book of Esther, no one could approach him without being invited. And if they did and he didn't receive them, they would be executed. The meek leader lays down the scepter of authority and makes himself approachable, accessible. The meek leader is able to admit others into his real presence, not sentencing them to the death of separation and seclusion. The second false leader without meekness is the macho man. This type is threatened by his own inadequacies and fearful that he's not altogether male. He repeatedly celebrates his own maleness, constantly thumping his chest like King Kong. I'm a male, I'm a male, I'm a male. Ironically enough, there is often a paper-thin membrane separating macho man and the effeminate homosexual. The third category of false leaders lacking meekness is the suffering martyr. This leader, tired and nearly beaten, has paid the price for his family. When his authority is questioned or his will is challenged, he responds by showing how put upon and wounded he is, not domineering, but manipulative. His character has nonetheless lost meekness. A meek leader will laugh at his own pratfall. Suffering martyrs see nothing funny about themselves. The meek leader receives both criticism and complaints with humor and therefore with balance. 
Take, for example, the story of the rebellion of Aaron and Miriam against Moses. This is a very powerful story. They are rebuked by God in the whole episodes it is as it's recorded all through the 12th chapter of Numbers. It says that God speaks to Miriam and Aaron. God rebukes them. Moses doesn't get into it. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't uh, say, hey, who do you think you are to rebel against me? The first time Moses speaks in the entire passage is to intercede for Miriam's healing. Moses did not spring to his own defense, nor did he struggle to hold on to his reins of authority. He let God do that. That is the spirit of meekness, and that is exactly how Moses is characterized. In Numbers 12, 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. What a, what a wonderful thing to be said about someone. And yet, Moses was not some powerless Casper Milktoast. The pastor who stands in the pulpit, constantly crying, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, has missed the meaning of pastor as servant. The servant pastor says to his people, what I want for you is what God wants for you. My only purpose in being in this ministry is for you to know all that God has for you. It is in a great part, a lack of meekness in leadership that causes strikes that bankrupt entire industries. The CEO who says to the rank and file, make my dreams come true, work harder, make me rich, is asking for union trouble. Characterlessness, a lack of meekness in leadership can bring industry to its knees. The servant leader, the meek leader, has the character to lead successfully. What is the character of the true meek leader? First, his achievements may be great, but they appear not to be his alone. Second, his transforming influence may touch many, but those thus touched do not lean on him. They don't depend on him. They are empowered by him. Third, his subordinates admire his virtues greatly, but are free to explore their own strengths without fear of his domination. Fourth, the meek leader is not afraid of the responsibility of leadership, but his authority does not dictate to him who he is. Rather, his meekness informs the demonstration of his authority for the good of those whom he serves. The apostles asked, Lord, who will be the greatest in your kingdom? For an answer, Jesus took a basin of water and wrapped a towel around his own waist and began to wash their feet. Later, when the might of pagan Rome unleashed a holocaust against Christ's followers, that abiding memory of a God-man willing to wash their feet gave them the power to topple an empire without ever drawing a sword. What made Christianity more powerful than Rome was not a sword. It was the meekness of Christ. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Leader's Notebook. God bless you. Until we meet again, I'm Mark Rutland, and this is The Leader's Notebook. Wow, another great episode of The Leader's Notebook. Hello, I'm Ronnie Brannon, the Chief of Staff at Global Servants. And as Dr. Rutland said, we want to send you your copy of his book, Character Matters. 
You can receive your copy by contributing any amount to Global Servants through our Secure Give app on our website. Go to globalservants.org, click the Donate button, and then click Give Online, and then leave your contribution under the Podcast Gift tab. Next, please click Add a Message and include your name, email address, and the mailing address where you would like your book delivered. As soon as your donation is processed, we'll send you an email confirming the delivery address, and we'll get your book in the mail to you by the next business day. Again, thank you for subscribing to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland and helping make a difference for those around the world and helping save little girls for big destinies. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.